Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. Drilling Deep is the place where we drill deep into the world of oil and diesel because that's what powers trucking and you need to drill for it to get it. But we also drill deep into an issue of these times. And today we'll be talking about the other thing that allows trucks to move on down the highway, and that's a diesel engine. Alan Schaefer of the Diesel Technology Forum is going to be here with us. He's going to talk about how while hydrogen trucks may be the hottest, sexiest item of the day, and it may be the hottest idea of the future, the diesel engine is not sitting still and it's getting better all the time. The last few weeks on Drilling Deep, we've talked about how much diesel there is in the market, how the price has been steady, and you know what? I don't have anything new to say on that. The situation is the same. But I've always approached the question of oil and trucking from two angles. One is that it's the fuel that powers trucks and trains, but the other is that the price of crude is the primary determinant of the price of diesel, and but also because so much of the trucking world is dependent upon moving equipment to drill for oil, it's equally as important. Flatbeds move drilling equipment, rail cars move sand, tanker cars move water for fracking, and haul oil away from smaller wells that aren't hooked up to any sort of pipeline connection because they're too small or they're just too far away from the main pipeline. And the picture there isn't getting any better. The collapse in the U.S. industry is not showing any signs of easing. The Energy Information Administration puts out a monthly report called the Short-Term Energy Outlook. It came out this week, and what it shows is that we've still got a a long way to go before we hit bottom. U.S. production peaked out at 12.9 million barrels of crude last November. It was about 11.4 million barrels a day in May. By next March, the report says it's going to be down to 10.6 million barrels per day. The full year average for next year is expected to only be a little bit higher at about 10.8 million barrels per day. So you can see, even after you hit that 10.6 trough, you're not going to get some big kick by the end of the year. And yes, it is true that the price of WTI crude has moved back up toward the $40 per barrel level. So we're not talking the prices in the 20s that we were talking about all that long ago. But global demand, even for next year, even for full 2021, is still estimated to be less than it was last year by a few million barrels per day. Note that global demand usually rises a little bit every single year. The shale industry also is extremely dependent upon a steady stream of capital coming from banks. So this really isn't just a price play right now. You can't just look at the price and assume, well, if it's going to go up, there's going to be a lot more drilling. Moody said in a recent report, and I'm going to quote here, Limited access to capital markets and high borrowing costs will continue to strain EMP credit quality and liquidity, especially as banks try and limit their exposures to the energy sector by curtailed lending to EMP companies. Limited access to capital is going to is going to worsen the impact of weakening liquidity for a number of EMP companies while also impeding their ability to reinvest. That's uh, that's also from Moody's. So the problem for the industry is not just that prices are low and demand is declining. It's also that banks don't want to throw money at it the way they might have in the past. I shouldn't say that they might have in the past, the way they did in the past. This clearly doesn't bode well for that portion of the trucking sector that is dependent on the energy business for its livelihood. My colleague at Freightwaves, Noy Mahoney, wrote recently about Vista Propens. Propens are the little bits of sand that are in the fracking fluid. They get shot down into wells, and then those those propens, as they hit against the, the side walls of the well, open up little fissures that the oil and gas can come out of. That really is the process that radicalized uh, the world energy industry. Vista 
recently filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection with about $500 million of liabilities. It's down to less than 60 employees. It was close to 700 employees two years ago. That's the sort of numbers I'm talking about. The other thing that is hitting the transport sector right now is that the Brent WTI spread has come way in. This may sound like some sort of just bizarre thing that traders only care about, but you do need to care about it in this sector. It's below $3 per barrel right now. Back in April, it was more than $9 per barrel. And why does this matter? Because the wider the Brent WTI spread, the more incentive there is to move crude on a rail car and more incentive there is to export it. The tighter spread is seen as a likely reaction to the drop in U.S. output, but it means less demand for rail service to move crude, and it's going to hit the shipping business too. You think of all the the, the pilot boats, the pilot tugs and tankers and any kind of shipping-related activity that went on in connection with the fact that U.S. crude exports had soared about 3 million barrels a day. So see, this is another factor where the slump in oil price is going to hit the transport sector. You know, there are forecasts out there that all these cuts out of OPEC, out of non-OPEC countries, and out of the U.S. are setting the market up for tighter prices by the end of the year. Let's hope that for the trucking sector, at least, that if those prices do rise and diesel rises with it, that at least they'll get a boost in activity on the upstream. The problem is it seems unlikely that the banks are going to open up the cash stream again as much as they might have in the past. That cash fueled so much of the activity before but it's not likely to be there in anywhere near the same amount the next time around. All right, we're shifting gears now. Uh, This week I was honored to be a moderator on a webinar produced by the International Association for Energy Economics on trucking and the energy that is going to propel it for years to come. We had my colleague from Freightways, J.T. Engstrom, on there. He talked about trucking in general. Uh, We also had a, a guest who talked about hydrogen, And we also had Alan Schaefer, who was the executive director of the Diesel Technology Forum. Uh, The forum is a research group put together by the diesel industry to invest in and do a lot of research on ever-changing efficiency in that engine. There are a lot of people gunning for diesel, and the industry is not sitting still. So, uh, Alan, I don't know if that was a good description of what the forum does, but why don't you take it away from there and and tell us about some of the work you're involved in? Yeah, thanks a lot, John. Nice to be with you all. The uh the Diesel Technology Forum was uh, founded back in, in 2000 um, out of industry's desire to really tell the story of this technology and how it was changing, how important it was to the global economy, and uh, how important it was going to be in the future. So uh, it's kind of a, a mix of folks. We have uh, fuel providers, both uh, petroleum, diesel, as well as renewable fuels interests. We have suppliers, uh, top-tier suppliers, and all the engine truck and equipment manufacturers, both on the heavy-duty and the light-duty side. So we're, we're kind of a mix of, uh, of interest all gathered around one thing, and that's the, uh, that's the role of diesel. So um, the work we do is, uh, as you mentioned, we do research on the use and benefits of diesel to society. We look at um, a lot of work with uh, the policy front, both on Capitol Hill and in the states, to educate policymakers and, and really anybody who will listen about the, uh, about the benefits of diesel. Well, let's jump ahead. I was going to say this question for later, but you talked about public policy changes. And right now, there's, there's a push to give a break or eliminate temporarily, probably not permanently, I'm sure you'd like it permanently, the federal excise tax on the purchase of trucks. And uh, I, I know that's been kind of going on for a while. The argument now, of course, would be that it's a stimulus act in an economy that needs it. It's a stimulus act for an industry that is making 
or has an order book for fewer trucks than, you know, it's had, I don't say ever, but in a long, long time. Does that initiative right. have any chance of success or is this another long shot? Well, I think it has a better chance of success this time around than, than at any point in the past. I think, you know, we are in really uh, uncharted waters in terms of the economy and how different industry sectors are uh, are surviving on that. I think, you know, for truck and engine manufacturers, they've had, you know, some good years a few years ago. But um, as you noted, the you know, the, the bottom dropped out of new truck sales uh, earlier this year. And, you know, I think uh, given the outlook for the global economy and, and the U.S. economy being a part of that, you know, trucking is always going to be in demand, but definitely at lower levels. And that that's going to turn into uh, lower fleet uh, demand for new trucks. And, you know, the, the, the data that we have also we've looked at, and I mentioned earlier today, which is, you know, only about 43% of all the, the current trucks on the road registered and operating are the newest generation. So these are the ones that have all the bells and whistles. They're the most fuel efficient, the lowest in emissions and ones that really, um, you know, are, are ones that, that should be the mainstay foundation of the trucking industry right now. So 43% means that 57% are not. So what this is, is the opportunity for the trucking industry to say, look, you know, from now through 2021, as a short-term uh, stimulus, let's eliminate, suspend the federal excise tax on those commercial vehicles. And I think the American Trucking Association's pegged the dollar amount and the Truck Dealers Association at about about $18,000 on the cost of a new rig. So, you know, that's real money. I mean, and for, for folks who are going to have access to capital restricted now or, you know, maybe in a, in a tougher and financial situation, all of a sudden having an, an $18,000 lower price vehicle could make the difference. And so I, I think that's what people are hoping for. You know, today there's a, there's a huge amount of amendments introduced to the transportation bill. And, you know, I think that um, we'll see how this shakes out in the coming weeks. But uh, whether it's the transportation legislation or stimulus package, I think this is the, this is the year to get the excise tax um, the best chance it has. You know, you're talking about Washington and uh, trying to stimulate uh, demand for new trucks. A couple of years ago, there was a move on to uh, widen or lift or whatever the limits on glider kits. And I would imagine from the perspective of the diesel technology forum, you are probably opposed to that. Let's, you might, can probably give a better definition of a glider kit than I am. But it seems to me that glider kits, in terms of certainly in terms of efficiency, in terms of carbon reduction, which is something you're interested in, is going the exactly the wrong way. Where does that stand in Washington? It is. It, you know, this is a, a really a, a small, what is really a small issue in, in terms of its impact on emissions and sort of everything else. But it got to be a large issue because it was politically connected and, and some other things. But, you know, there's um, folks that you know, really have identified the idea that they, they like to keep an old engine going for as long as possible, but they want a new truck around it. I mean, they want the opportunity to, to keep the old engines on the road as long as possible by buying what's called a glider kit, which is a, basically a truck assembled without an engine, and they put an old engine back in a new truck. And so while the brakes are new and the frame and all the other parts are new, the you know, the engine is not, it's an older vintage generation. And that means higher emissions and, you know, lesser controls on particulates and knocks and other things. So it's a small, really niche kind of thing, really almost one or two dealers um, in the central U.S. that really were 
you know, found this little cottage industry out there, people that wanted to, you know, kind of skirt around the the obvious thing of, of buying a new truck and, you know, kind of bandage up the old one, so to speak. But um, where it stands right now in Washington is EPA is, has uh, just basically let it sit there. They're really not doing anything with it that I can tell. I think what their main focus is on now is the Cleaner Trucks Initiative, which is setting forward the new emission standards for commercial vehicles in the future. And, you know, that that's a, a Herculean undertaking that's far more important than, you know, dealing with um, a small kind of a sidebar issue like this. So um, in terms of the n- n- cleaner trucks going forward, how much of this is going to be a function of using uh, renewable diesel or biodiesel? Let's let's point out the renewable diesel and biodiesel are not the same things. They kind of come from the same sources, but renewable diesel is more heavily processed. The end product can be you, you could run a truck full of renewable diesel. You can't run a truck full of biodiesel. Uh, well, biodiesel you, is a blend yeah. stock. Well, maybe you could, but you have a lot yeah. of problems. Well, here's here's the thing though the the new rules that are that are being talked about by EPA right now has nothing to do with the use of renewable diesel or biodiesel. So EPA is going to establish a future allowable engine emission standard and a range of other things around that, but it will all be based on the the, the foundational certification fuel, the D nine seventy five distillate diesel fuel, ultra low sulfur diesel that we know today. So it it, it doesn't pretend anything about changing fuels. The, the notion about using, using low-carbon fuels is really a, a fleet decision or uh, a city or, or an area deciding that they want to do more for uh, reducing carbon emissions in a particular region. So they would invest in those kind of fuels um, to do that. So the engine and standards, EPA sets those and, and those must be met, doesn't have anything to do with renewable or biodiesel fuel at this time. Okay. At a time like this... You've got really low diesel prices, um, certainly low diesel outright, low diesel adjusted for inflation are very low. Uh, does this help your case in terms of uh, swatting away competitors, or is it a longer-term battle? Well, I think it's a longer-term battle. You know, diesel fuel prices are, um, you know, up and down all over the place. I think where that has mattered more is really in the opportunity that has been there for for a market growth for light-duty diesel vehicles. And you know, this is, as a sidebar note, this is the first year that you can buy a full-size pickup truck with a diesel engine option. So uh, General Motors, Ford, and Ram uh, all have uh, a three-liter diesel engine option for consumers, kind of the first time ever. So that's a big deal. And uh, for consumers, the price of diesel fuel is a factor that goes into that decision-making process about whether or not to buy that truck with the diesel, because it is a premium. And the fuel does cost more than gasoline at the current time. So it's, it's a calculation about how long you're going to keep your truck, how you're going to use your truck, and, uh, you know, just whether or not you, you like diesel and you're willing to accept a higher price and differential between gasoline, which we find a lot of diesel folks are. So uh, on the light-duty side, the price of fuel matters a lot more. I think on the trucking side, you know, there's there's a, a level of uh, just becoming accustomed to this kind of, you know, Two to three dollar, um, maybe more than that, and in, in the West Coast particularly, um, price of diesel, and it, it just gets factored into the cost of doing business, to freight rates, and to um, you know whether or not there's fuel surcharges being put in in times when the prices go way up. But I think folks are are you know just sort of like I said, uh, they accept that and they sort of understand it, and it's it's sort of part of the mix. So I don't necessarily see you know higher diesel fuel prices um, impacting. Uh, 
competition with alternatives because the alternatives, let's face it, they have a much higher mountain to climb in terms of not even having infrastructure in place, not even having service networks, not even, you know, having enough stations really to, to run the irregular routes uh, all over this country that, uh, that the trucking industry does every day. So those are far more uh, of a showstopper kind of issues than diesel fuel prices. So let's jump to the question of uh, what's going to propel trucks in the future. That's what we spoke about this morning uh, on the webinar. We did not have anybody there from the battery side, but I think the consensus in the trucking industry is that the weight of batteries is probably going to make that a non-starter. That leaves you with hydrogen. And as I noted, uh, Nikola Motor just had its IPO in the past couple of weeks, and I don't know where it stands right now, but at one point they had a greater market cap than Ford, even though Nikola produces exactly zero vehicles and that the revenue is a cash burn. Clearly, there's a lot of people who think there's a terrific future for hydrogen in uh, semi-trucks. What's the, con- what's the competitive landscape look like right now for you? Well, you know, we have members that uh, are dabbling in all of these technologies because at the end of the day, what they want to do is serve their customer the best choices that they can for the best combination of things that that customer needs to do their job. So if a customer happens to be in a, a nexus area where there might be a more rapid development of infrastructure for an alternative or they may have a particular captive fleet kind of operation or a route that's run you know, 300 miles every day, back and forth, up and down an interstate to two different points. Those are the kind of operations that might be most conducive to these kinds of alternative fuels, which do have quite a bit of limitations, both on range and and fueling capability. Um, But I think that, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's an interesting time, obviously, to be in the, in, in the business, because there are so many things being talked about, but I'm, I'm glad you mentioned up front that, you know, for a lot of these companies, the kind of the unicorns, if you will, that have made these big splashy announcements, we don't have any trucks on the road yet. So I think we have to kind of see how that plays out. And I'm not, not I don't want to diminish the opportunity that they have in their their entrepreneurship uh, at all, um, even though they may, uh, they may take pleasure on beating up on diesel from time to time. Um, we won't, we won't go there. But, um, you know, I think there, I think there's, there's going to be opportunity there for somebody and they'll, they'll try some of this stuff, but you know, there's a lot of people that are skeptical that, you know, these are fuels that are always right around the corner. They're just right around the corner from, you know, displacing diesel. And I remember, you know, not to, not to date myself, but you know, I've been working in the trucking industry in some ways since 1987. And I remember the days in the late eighties, early nineties in California, when hundred percent methanol was, was the fuel of the future that was going to get rid of diesel it's going to eliminate all the soot and particulate problems in the South Coast Basin. Um, and it just was going to be. I mean, the Air Resources Board in South Coast were investing heavily in, in incentivizing it and putting in stations and encouraging development of vehicles and engines, you know, and on and on and on. And 100% methanol, you know, really interesting stuff. Looks like water burns without a flame. That's kind of a big problem if you spill it and you walk into an area that's on fire and and you didn't know about it until your, you know, half your leg is burned up. So there were issues like that. And and of course, the big one being groundwater contamination that ultimately made what was a sure thing that was just right around the corner for displacing diesel forever, basically disappear from the face of the earth. I mean, there are still some people out there talking about methanol engines and things like that, but 
you know, I think there's an experience there to be learned that um, there are a lot of great minds that are trying a lot of new things and new technologies. And we are in a different place in 2020 than we were in the late 80s, of course. So, you know, anything's possible with uh, some of the new fuels and, and the opportunity to displace some of uh, what is fueled by diesel today. But, you know, if history serves any purpose, um, you know, there's going to be a couple methanols here before this is all said and done, probably. All right. But that, but that's always the way you're talking. It's as, as if it's an open free market, which you could have or carbon taxes, something put on the price of carbon, whatever, that is going to make a very significant impact on the slope of that playing field. Could. Are these the kind of things you're concerned about? You know, well, how much would it, because you don't know what the number would be, but how much impact would a carbon tax have on diesel versus, let's say, hydrogen that's produced, that can be, it can be shown that it's produced from nuclear, it can be shown to produce from solar or wind? Well, you know, of course, all of those, uh, all of those considerations are really important ones. And a carbon tax would certainly send a signal to the markets about, you know, what the economics are going to be for continued use of one fuel option versus switching to another. But, you know, I'm I'm mindful that this administration is, uh, you know, disconnected from the Paris Climate Agreement and and does not pursue that as a policy. So until we have, you know, more of a national coordinated consensus view on that, I think, you know, it is only a, it is only a, an aspirational thing for uh, for some. I think, you know, again, going back to the, the truck and engine makers, they want to do, you know, what's right by their customer. And when customers sense that it's time to, you know, put forward a, a different kind of model for trucking, different kind of fuel base and, you know, our pricing needs to change because this new carbon tax is going to, you know, severely impact our fuel costs. That's the, that's will be the time when folks will start to start to make movements. I think, you know, until then it's going to be fully dependent on what kind of money the government's throwing at it, what kind of incentives are out there. Um, you know, UPS gets a lot of coverage. They have a gigantic fleet, obviously a gigantic amount of capital. They can, they can be a laboratory for all kinds of fuels and technologies and, what they do is, you know, important work to uh, to show everybody else. But that's that's not the typical trucking fleet, as you know. I mean, the typical trucking fleet is a small guy with, you know, ten or twelve trucks. Um, these are the people that are, you know, one day in Boise, Idaho, Idaho, and the in the next couple of days in Baltimore, Maryland, all in different kinds of freight for different rates, and you know, just trying to eke by and make a living. So these kind of big big thought issues and policies are very complicated for them. I think. And I, I would just, you know, as we as you maybe just back out to a 30,000 foot view, if we are looking at ways to, to reduce carbon consumption, I think, you know, the new efficiency of the diesel engine that we have today is extraordinary. And the incremental benefit to be gained from getting rid of a 2005 or seven engine and replacing it with a 2000, you know, 20 or later model year, 2015, 2018, whatever, the newer generation is substantial. And, you know, we should not overlook that part of it because that is the part it's like, you know, hitting singles in baseball. Rarely does the home run win the game. It's that steady hitting of consecutive singles, doubles, you know, just consistent play along. And I think that's what we need to have and more to accelerate the introduction of newer technology. Sure. Some of these alternatives are going to be really attractive to some and maybe at some point to more, but you know, at the moment, we're just not there yet. 
can you give a, you know, for our last thing, we've kind of run out of time here, but can you give some quick numbers on how much more efficient the average diesel engine is now today than it was, I don't know, whatever time frame you want to do, five years ago, 10 years ago, a year ago? Yeah, you know, I mean, typical people always um, do some interesting comparisons. I, I, you know, the comparison that was done this morning showing that trucks are only 5% of the vehicle population, but they consume, you know, they drive you know, whatever, 20% of the miles and consume 30% of the fuel. You know, these are 80,000 pound trucks hauling all the stuff that you and I need every day. So imagine for a moment, if we made everybody have individual personal car trips to pick up all their stuff directly from the distributor. So, you know, for some of those comparisons, I, it makes me cringe a little bit that they're, they're almost non-starters, but um, I think that, um, you know, we have um, the opportunity to, um, grow even further than we are today. The average truck on the road, you know, 20 years ago, what, five, five and a half miles a gallon. People didn't really know about that a lot. And, you know, you said that and cars were getting 25 and 30 people. Oh my God, what's industry been doing? Well, again, 80,000 pounds versus, you know, 3000 pounds. But, you know, today really we are in the place where these, the new generation trucks with the SCR systems are, are, you know, cranking in consistent, seven, eight, 10 miles a gallon for a lot of the, the folks that are really doing it right and monitoring things. And we've seen through some of the Department of Energy super truck programs that Volvo and Daimler and, and Cummins and some of the others have been involved in, they've demonstrated over 12 miles a gallon on a, you know, class A tractor trailer fully loaded. But it's not just the engine, you know, it's the whole package. It's the, it's the transmission integration, it's the aerodynamics, it's the rolling resistance of the tires, it's all of that stuff. So that's why I mentioned the idea of freight system efficiency, and it's really more vehicle efficiency. So I think, you know, we've got ways to go to squeeze more out of the diesel engine, and and certainly the EPA greenhouse gas rules that are being implemented, the phase two, contemplate further couple, five, seven percentage point improvements there through all kinds of things like waste heat recovery and just enhanced combustion and, and other things. So the, the, we're not done squeezing efficiency out of the diesel engine yet, and we're surely not done squeezing it out of the of today's conventional truck and powertrain yet. But I think you know those again. If you if you took a guy that had a truck that makes six miles a gallon today and got him into a new one tomorrow, then that had eight or ten, you know, run the numbers on that over a year, over a lifetime of that truck, huge savings to him and to the uh, and to the environment. Alan Schaefer, the executive director of the Diesel Technology Forum, I want to thank you for joining us this week on Drilling Deep. We will have you back because this is a very much a moving target. I think this, is a, as I said earlier, diesel is looks like a, you know, the kind of thing that people like to go after, but you just keep making it better, so it's uh, it doesn't happen that easily. There you go. Thank you very much, John, for having us. So anyway, you've been listening to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. Drilling Deep is part of the Freightcast family of podcasts here at Freightwaves. We talk about oil. We talk about other stuff. We're here every week. We hope you join us again. Thank you very much. 